Hello and welcome back to uh, Society Owes Me a Gen X podcast. I'm Lily. This is Hannah. Hello, Lily. How are you? Very well. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm looking forward to uh, the iPod today. Ah, iPod. Oh, very good. Very very retro. Yeah. Gen X's remember iPods, right? (laughs) Just about. Uh, Yeah, I think they were post-90s though, weren't they? But yeah. Well, yeah, but I'm just saying, you know, our generation or the the tail end of Gen X, Definitely the beginning of Xennials, whoever the <laughs> hell we are, whatever we decide. Right after Game Boys. <laughs> yeah. You had a Game Boy, but I didn't. Oh. You're more of a tomboy than me, maybe. Mm. Sorry, I don't know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> Some sort of game, game Boy gun. <laughs> anyway, I would know, I didn't have on. one. But, um, well, I have no idea what you're doing today, and... Um, so I'm excited to hear. Go ahead. What are we doing? You've got no idea, really. really? Okay. Well, I promise you, you will know this album. Actually, I was talking between two uh, I albums that I'm sure you'll be very familiar with. Um, am I going to like it or am I not? I'm pretty <laughs> sure you're going to like it. Oh, okay. Okay. Tell you what, I'll give you some clues. Okay. What is wrong with me then? So it's an album I know really well. You're going to kick you it you know off. I'm going to like it. Yeah. And I yeah, cannot yeah. think of what it is. Okay. Well, the, the record begins with I, not the group. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, let me tell you, it came I'm an out. I- I- idiot. <laughs> Have you guessed yet? <laughs> no, I still don't okay. know. It's not I'm still an idiot. idiot. Okay. Came out September the thirteenth, nineteen ninety three. Okay. On DGC Records. Right before Versus. Mm-hmm. It should be with this. Mm-hmm. Right before Versus. Yeah. Um, third and final studio album of this band. Hmm. The album was named after, apparently named after a poem written by Courtney Love. God, I'm being such an idiot. I don't know. You said before we started like five minutes ago that we really need to do some more grunge. (laughs) So I present to you In Utero by Nirvana. (laughs) I am an idiot. Wow. Okay, so and I'm going to kick right off with my I, link to you your previous pod. I think I thought we'd done it. <laughs> we did. Never mind. Yeah, and bleach. I think in my head, I thought we'd covered. Oh no, they're still See, apart from unplugged. I nearly we went. Do. We absolutely did. Yeah, and the other eye that I, I nearly went for instead was incesticide. So uh, that can be yeah next series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it didn't. Yeah, I didn't even go there. Nice there one. you go. All right, cool. Give yourself a kick. Um, so yeah, I'm going to kick straight off with the link to your previous pod. Nice. What is it? So one of the artists that you talked about last week was PJ Harvey. Hmm. Now, this first song. <gasps> I know which one it is. On it. Is this the one that you were talking about? Well, no, this is Serve the Sermons. Oh. <laughs> So, what an opener, what a contrast to the opening of Nevermind, which is Teen Spirit. There's a lot of clatter to start this album off. Um, but yeah, so this opening track, Serve the Servants, um, Select Magazine's David Kavanagh compared it to PJ Harvey's Rid of Me. Is that what I thought, what you thought I was going to talk about? No, I, I, I am being... I am being an idiot because I was thinking of the PJ Harvey track beginning with I. I thought you were going to play In the Water. Ah, okay. We talked a bit about In the Water, didn't we? I, think. I couldn't yeah. remember what it was called, but yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, I've got a couple of PJ Harvey links, actually. 
um, both related to this song and the recording of it. Uh-huh. Um, but to, yeah, so to pick up kind of a little bit where we left off with the last Nirvana album that we discussed, never mind. Um, in early 1992, Kurt told Rolling Stone magazine that the new album, i.e. In Utero, was going to showcase both the extremes of Nirvana. So some raw stuff uh, like this and some more candy pop stuff, um, you know, that he sort of started on Nevermind. And he said that it wouldn't be as one-dimensional as Nevermind. Um, Kurt wanted to start work on it in the summer of 1992, but um, he and Courtney were expecting a baby, Francis Bean. And the band, uh, the rest of the band lived, you know, um, lived away. He was, I think, in the Hollywood Hills by this point. Uh, and they were in Seattle, I guess. Um, so, yeah, that wasn't going to happen anytime soon. The work was going slowly for all those reasons. So the record company put out Incesticide to kind of fill the gap. Um, and that came out in 792. And as you know, it's like B-sides. Milk that um, cow. Exactly. So it bought them a bit of time. Um, and in summer of 19, 1992, uh, Kurt Cobain said to Everett True of uh, my beloved your Melody favorite. Maker. <laughs> <laughs> Not your favourite, your second favourite. <laughs> um, he told him that he was interested in working with Jack and Dino, who he'd worked with on Bleach, which we've discussed in Series 1, uh, B for Bangers, and with Steve Albini, um, who had some uh, good underground credentials as a producer, Although he never called himself a record, doesn't call himself a record producer. He just um, uh, likes to be known as a record Steve. Uh, recording engineer. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> it's <good to> see. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he was in Big Black, which was a big influence on Nirvana and uh, other other bands at the time, um, and a few other bands. Uh, controversially, uh, Rape Man was the name of one of his bands, and he's now I think he's still in um, in Shellac. I think they still uh, they still exist. Um, so yeah, anyway, Kurt's idea was that he was going to choose the best recordings from each of those sessions for the album. And then in October 1992, they recorded several songs, but mostly instrumental versions, with Jack and Dino in Seattle, uh, which later would um, be re-recorded for In Utero. But they didn't ask Endino to produce the record. But um, I was watching an interview the other day where Andino said that he remembers that during those recording sessions, they were talking a lot about wanting to work with Albini. Right, this is going to end. Um, the guy from Skinyard. Sorry, who's the guy from Skinyard? Jack Andino. Um, he. So sorry, Skinyard? I'm eating him. <laughs> The bacon fryer could it not resist. It sounds good. It sounds good. Right, sorry, that's ended. So this is this is rid of me. Okay. So the uh, this is PJ Harvey. So the other um, uh, the other point that I was going to make about rid of me is that uh, where are we going? Oh yeah. So they did settle with um, uh, with Steve Albini in the end, and um, apparently he told Michael Azarad. So I've got um, a bunch of. Uh, biographies that I will stick up on the old Insta. Um, but he, he told uh, Michael Azarad, one of one of Nirvana's biographies, um, that he didn't really think that much of, of Nirvana, that he considered them to be like R.E.M. with a fuzz box and an unremarkable version of the Seattle sound, but that <laughs> he agreed to, um, to work with them because he felt sorry for the band members. And, um, <laughs> oh, yeah, he said, smack. well, I, I quote when he says that, uh, he said, um, he saw them as the same sort of people, same sort of people as all the small fry bands that I deal with at the mercy of their record company. 
Um, so anyway, he agreed to do it, but before recording, he sent the band um, uh, a copy of this record uh, to give them an idea of the acoustics at the studio that they'd be, recorded, they'd be recording in. So we can listen to Holly Jean again for a little moment. What do you think? Mm. Weirdly enough, I was listening to this and dry today. Oh, okay, I'm nice. Cleaning my house. Nice. <laughs> so glam. Some weird telepathy going on there. Well, I can tell you someone who didn't think much of it was Elvis Costello. So last year, 2020, apparently Elvis Costello said to Pitchfork, I remember seeing Polly Jean on The Tonight Show. She stood there with just a guitar and did rid of me. It was like seeing Howling Wolf on Shindig. So great. And then I got the record and it was nowhere near as good, but it didn't matter. There she goes. So the crucial part of that quote <laughs> was, for me... The record that sounds like shit. That guy doesn't know anything about production. That guy being Albini. Right. So there you go. Elvis Costello was not a fan of Albini. But yeah, Nirvana chose him. And yet millions and millions of people. Quite. Not Quite. that I mean I love Elvis Costello, but you know, you can't be right all the time. <laughs> um but yeah, the the band went with uh Albini, they um you know they liked his sort of attitude and his no nonsense reputation and he did he had quite a sort of unorthodox approach to uh, recording and he'd kind of put microphones um all over the room and record that way um no, that's cool very um atmospheric yeah exactly right so going back to uh serve the servants it was written in 1992 and it was um, the only song on In You Trey that hadn't been recorded as, as a demo by the full band before the album recordings. And Chris said that Kurt brought it to the studio pretty much fully done and they didn't need to do too much else with it. Um, and it kind of sets the tone, I think, for the rest of, well, for, for the album and what was kind of going on in their lives at the time, particularly Kurt's. It starts off, if you remember, with the line, teenage angst has paid off well, now I'm bored and old. So, you know, pretty much a, a reflection of, of Kurt's state of mind after Nirvana's crazy success with, um, with Nevermind. I'm surprised more of them don't feel that way, though, you know? Especially the kind of, the day in, day out, you have to be able to, like, really unplug your brain, I imagine. I mean, I don't have a clue, obviously. <laughs> don't play any instruments, can't can't sing a note and don't, you know. But, you know, the ones that are still going, I mean, I've got respect for them and everything, but I, I do wonder, like, how you can bear to keep going, you know? Like, David Bowie did those kind of big gigs where he'd be like, right, this is the last time you're ever going to hear this live because I'm moving on then. I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah, and it's everyone really would be like, amazing. And, yeah. And then he really stuck to that and just moved to a different phase i mean in a way i think that's the way to do it because it's just endless otherwise yeah I imagine how many times i mean our beloved pearl jam how many times they've had to play even flow and yet we all go crazy and they're like they must be sort of god why are we doing this to ourselves again i mean hopefully not hopefully be. not pearl jam now hopefully they you know what i mean yeah but how totally many, how many times can you night play? after night yeah without yeah. hating it <laughs> 
I guess. Never mind, you know, chuck in a family as well, you know, and like a young child as well and sleepless nights and everything else that comes with that and grueling touring schedules. He he has like one of those, I think he, I mean, Kurt Gawain I'm talking about, it's like he had a certain sort of integrity, what he felt was his integrity, you know, and that you couldn't really mess around with that and if you weren't giving 100% then you're basically just shitting on it, you know? Definitely. I think the integrity um, bit comes into play with, you know, the, the the different direction that the band wanted to take within Utero. So, um, you know, despite the massive success of, of Nevermind, I think after that, they all, not just Kurt, kind of felt that they'd sold out a bit. And within Utero, they, you know, the, 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 there's, um, you know, Kurt talked about how, suddenly all those people that had bullied him in school and stuff, all the jocks and things were singing along yeah. to Smells Like Teen Spirit and he yeah. didn't want them to be his fans. And so with no. the show, <laughs> But they, you can't control that. Sadly. Exactly. Well, although they kind of could, or like this was their attempt at trying to do that. Well, so yeah, to move away from this it. Was, but do you know what? I think he had like the, that imposter syndrome. I think Eddie better yeah. had it too. That like, no, 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 you don't know me and you think you do and you think we're all really great, but we don't know what the fuck we're doing. Yeah. You know. Also, my new music's not for you. That's not who I'm making it for, you know? And that, like, yeah, it's like, how dare you connect with this? But absolutely. You can't, yeah, once you put it out there, once it's an album and people are buying it, but it's yeah. not your baby anymore. But I think he said something like, with this, with Inutero, he did want to shed fans. You know, it was very deliberate. They didn't want to make it as accessible as as Nevermind had, had been. I think, like, re-listening to it, um, as an album and not just, you know, picking out my favourite songs and stuff over the past couple of days, um, there does seem to be like, um, you know, I think side A is a lot more accessible than side B. It's kind of like, uh, well, you know, with notable exceptions like All Apologies and Penny Royalty. Yeah, yeah. But then it's, again, they've just come from like hanging out with people like the Melvins who've made a career yeah. of creating music that 90% of people can't literally can't listen to it's it's such a lot of noise exactly right okay so um that was Polly Jean thank you very much so anything else oh the only other thing I was going to say about Serve the Servants is um in uh, uh spin uh, spins April 2000 edition um they said that this was blasting out the speakers during Kurt's memorial vigil and an estimated 5,000 kids poured out over the fountain, plugging up the spigots and lifting their middle fingers to the skies and howling with gleeful rage. Do you remember where you were, like when you saw the news and saw those pictures? I don't, I don't. And you hear people talk about it. I actually don't remember. I do remember being around at my friend Jane's house and us kind of lamenting it. Mm. Um, But I don't know, do you? Yeah, I was yeah, I was watching the minute, it on the, the absolutely. Actual. I was having a TV dinner with my parents. Um, I might have talked about this on before. I think we were having like chili con carne or spaghetti bolognese. Yeah, know, well, something we weren't like doing meaty. this album though, so it's all right. Yeah, Go ahead. Yeah, and yeah, just crying into my dinner and then not being able to finish it because yeah, I was distraught. And then my dad saying maybe it wasn't on the same night, but my dad at some point saying something flippant about like. Cut cocaine and making jokes. It was just like it wasn't cocaine; it was heroin. <laughs> oh my god! Not I bet funny. they had a pretty good laugh at that when you went to bed. <laughs> I remember when she got upset because we thought it was cocaine and it was actually heroin. Oh, this no, reminds but... me of the throwback podcast, Bob and Dad, 
Bob and Dan talk about this? Yeah, I don't like it when they talk about that. They were, yeah, they both laughed at Did their they? mates, didn't they? They're both embarrassed about that now. To be so, they to should be. be. <laughs> to them. Although I'm a bit kind of embarrassed the other way, but yeah, like I took it. Like, it was a hard year because we just lost River. And yeah. Halloween. Oh my God! Before. Speaking of River, so this is a total aside. There's a movie that you've got to watch with the kids if you haven't already. <laughs> okay. It's uh, it's called Explorer or Explorers. Um, it's have you never seen it before? No. Is this w- watching River it? River early days, isn't it? The earliest days. So it's River Phoenix's film debut. Not only that, it's mm. Ethan Hawke's film debut. They're <laughs> babies. And watching it, I thought I'd never seen it before, but then a lot of it came back, so I must have seen it at you some point. You just pressed up at the screen while your kids are trying to watch it. this movie. <laughs> the kids loved it. I actually felt a little bit uncomfortable because I'm thinking like... <laughs> This is weird. One of them like, should have been your father. I really, I really <laughs> fancy you when you're much, much older. Because oh, they're yeah, babies. No, that's creepy. And, and River Phoenix like plays the like dorky scientist kid. Mm. So I didn't realise it was him for a while because you know he's yeah like a little baby yeah. geek. Well, that is a bit problematic, isn't it? But yeah. Anyway, mm. watch it. But yeah, you're right. It was the same year that all sorts of John Candy. traumatic stuff. John Candy. Yeah, and then the following year, yeah, Richie Manic for me disappearing, and yeah, I'm sure we've had this conversation before, but yeah, it was massive impact on yeah. Have we not done dear old for me death? Because I think A B C D E F G everything is about death for it? us yeah. in this. But hey. <laughs> then once again, we have to point out like Gen X, ago, there's a lot of death. <laughs> yeah. Thirty and people people die. It happens. Sadly, yes. Anyway, back to In Utero and Scentless Apprentice. Tearing through my Jennifer like I'm at a gig. Uh, oh, soon, soon. Yes. Coming at you, 2022. Right, so, uh, do you remember what Sentence Apprentice is about? I watched too much Fantasia and they got carried away. <laughs> there there is kind of like a weird my parallel. <laughs> Well, it's about... Um, oh, my God, is it? Is it about Disney? Well, so, well it, no, it's about um, Patrick Siskin's Perfume. Have you read it? Oh, yes, I have. Yeah. It doesn't in the end. 90s, God damn it. Yeah. Well, it came out in 85, I think, wasn't it? Is it written in 85? Yeah, but I read oh, yeah. it in the 90s. Yeah, yeah, I read it in the 90s as well. And I think so did Kurt. Or maybe Kurt read it in the, in the late 80s, I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's a bit fanta- like a gory fantasia, is it? Isn't yeah. it? Kind of, yeah. especially in the end with the weird orgy. But yeah, so historic horror set in 18th century France, orphaned perfumer's apprentice born with no body odour of his own, but with a highly developed sense of smell. And he tries to create the ultimate perfume by killing virgins and taking their scent. Um, nice. This is the only song... <laughs> <laughs> That's the summing up of this. Nice. <laughs> so it's the only song on the album that's actually um, credited to all three, Cobain, Grohl and Novoselic. This is just guttural. 
visceral. <laughs> Smallpox scarred. Oh, yeah. 18th so, century Paris filth. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly summing up. It's certainly putting a picture of it. Actually, that book's still, like, I can't remember the exact ins and outs of the plot, but the very kind of oppressive, yeah, feeling of tall buildings and darkness and smells and grossness. It's an uncomfortable read. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, I found Fantasia like that as well. I saw it. Yeah, I saw it at the cinema as a kid, and I did not like it at all. I, I don't like terrifying. it either. And well, I generally hate kind of Disney movies, but yeah, there's something quite repellent about them. It's kind of dark and trippy. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you went far from the. Uh, I feel like they're in tra- Star Wars, you know, when they're in that trash compactor thing. I've never seen Star Wars. Oh yeah, I forgot <laughs> that. I wasn't trying to out you, but can... is that even? <laughs> possible i can quote Ow. pretty much all of all of the star wars because i have them in my ears and never, incessantly well, for kids, but never, never mind your kids but like how did you even get through boxing day it's always on the telly even as kids yeah no it's really good italian job harrison ford's hot <laughs> I have, uh, yeah i'm not gonna lie i've seen clips and yeah yeah he is hot you're gonna appreciate but, that anyway um yeah kurt said some Probably mean stuff, I think, about this. Let's just pause it for now. Um, so, yeah, apparently it was written dur- during a rehearsal in 92 and the guitar riff was done by Dave. Um, and Kurt said to, again to Michael Azarad, the biographer, that it was such a cliche grunge tad riff that I was reluctant to even <laughs> jam on it. But I decided to write a song with that just to make Dave feel better. To tell you the truth, it turned out really cool. I think most of the reason that the song sounds good is because of the singing style and the guitar parts I do over the top of the basic rhythm. But wow. hell, that was great. Bit like, right. bit off right. Acre. Yeah. Give him, give him a little more. Yeah, credit. it was going to be shit. And then luckily I was there in the room. Yeah. So, well, mm. in your face, Kurt. Not being funny, but I mean, Dave's done quite well for himself in the end. Well, yeah. Um, well, that he's still here. So I've got a, another version of Sentence Apprentice that I, I won't play you all of it because it's like nine minutes long. Um, oh, hang on, is it the right one? Da, da, da. All right, now I'm talking about something else. Anyway, well, this is the um, this is the first record. So the earliest known recording was an instrumental studio jam um, that. Uh, was Dave and Chris, and I don't think Kurt, doing with um, Ray Washam, who was um, the drummer in Scratch Acid, and then later was in that band Rape Man with Steve Albini. Um, so that was without Kurt. And then the fir- this is the first known recording with Kurt. So it's a boombox recorded rehearsal demo. Um, and it was on the, do you remember when I did the, the Nirvana, the Nevermind one, I had the beautiful uh, box set with yeah, the lights yeah, yeah. out? Yeah, so it's on. It's on that. Um, you can't help but like think that, you know, he wasn't available, like in any actual way. Maybe during the the beginning, or when they were supposed to be kind of rehearsing and getting stuff together, and then maybe he got a little bit jealous. Who Kurt? Yeah, maybe. Like, you know, would explain how he felt kind of a way about things when he came in like maybe oh what, what's this oh, yeah. although crap. i do not like they had a choice i mean you know it's just the two of them what yeah. the fuck are they gonna do obviously they're just gonna jam and get stuff together and try and you know yeah. maybe g him up a bit you can hear what he means though don't you think though on this version that this is like 
the grungy sort of sludgy kind of sound it does sound yeah, to be quite fair, different where they come from, from. well mean, yeah absolutely that kind of melvin's meets mud honey but as i say it's did i just sum long. up nirvana <laughs> I think we'll be, or, right or with that, am I we? drinking gin too fast? <laughs> mm. No, no, no. Your gin drinking pace is fine. Anyway, as I said, that's nine minutes long. So let's cut that. And uh, here we go. Yeah. Oh, I played the crap out of this. Hell yeah. I watched the video. The Yeah, crap out of the video. I'm sure I've mentioned this again as well. I don't know on which one, but with my brother in Mexico when it came out because it was on MTV's head rotation and that's like we only ever saw MTV when we got to visit my grandma out there and um yeah it was on like once an hour all the way to Mexico for some MTV sorry you had to go all the way to Mexico yeah. for some MTV <laughs> but yeah do you remember the video hmm. yeah so the video was um uh, it started off in like a, uh, it's an old man in a hospital bed and then he ends up, like he's wearing a loincloth and he ends up wearing like a Santa hat and he climbs up onto this uh, crucifix and there are crows and stuff flying around. Um, there's a little girl with like a, a white um, peaked cap and um, like a big, an obese woman in a, like a, a like a onesie decorated with um, organs and stuff it's just yeah it's weird and then the band are in like this red red room with um like a little box room with stars and stuff around it and then it finishes again in the uh in the hospital room it's really too trippy you know what i discovered when i had a baby and went to america is okay this is true in on the east coast anyway they don't know what a onesie is oh what do they call it I can't remember. We should probably explain what a onesie is No, they're a onesie. Is ours a baby grow? Okay. It was something I was saying and no one knew what the hell I was talking about. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I knew the nappy diaper thing. So how do you explain onesie? I can't remember now (laughs) if it was onesie and they just didn't understand baby grow. I think they don't have baby grow. So for listeners over the pond, a onesie is like an adult baby grow. (laughs) Any kind of baby grow. Baby grow is a onesie. Yeah. Maybe we stole onesie from America. I feel like that might be true. There were definitely baby grows when I was. You're over the pond and can set us straight. Please do. <laughs> they say you're over the hill, Lily. <laughs> Shut up. Which is a fair comment. Anyway, so this wasn't released as a physical single in the states because they were worried about damaging the album sales if they put it out. But obviously, it got loads of airplay, and it was number one in the Billboard Modern Rock Tracks chart and top ten in the UK. Um, it was written in early 1992, and then apparently Kurt forgot about it for a while, and then dug it out when he moved to Hollywood. His guitar part so good. Yeah, so good. But it almost became a whole song because apparently he was. Oh, I shut! I just physically shut it. Well, he was riffing. He was working on the riff in the closet. So apparently they had like a big fancy walking closet. Did steal it? Didn't no, she? no, no. To be fair to her, what though? Like, what she told Roll? I think what she told Rolling Stone. Yeah, it was Rolling Stone. Uh, she said that he, she overheard him playing it in the closet and said, "You need that riff." And he said, "Fuck you!" <laughs> Slam the door. <laughs> yeah, she was, um, my whole body was pressed so, up yeah. against the door. But she was asking <laughs> politely. She wasn't going to steal it for her husband. No, I'm but, sure Courtney Love's never stolen anything in her life. 
well. She's uh, she's very giving as well. <laughs> the name the name heart shaped box apparently came from a heart shaped box that she gave to Kurt, filled with like trinkets and a miniature doll. Apparently, Kurt say this. Uh, I think Dave Grohl might have said it because apparently it was passed to Kurt via Dave because Dave. As I understand it, introduced Kurt and Courtney um, through I bet their be mutual. That. <laughs> well, he was friends with he was friends with Jennifer Finch from L Seven, and you might remember that when we talked about Hole in our H for yeah. Hole <laughs> episode in series one. Series one. Yeah. Um, uh, oh no, were we talking about L Seven? Maybe it was in the L Seven episode. But the L- Jennifer one. Jennifer Finch and Courtney Love were like besties, so yeah, that was how it happened and after that the Cobains became great collectors of heart-shaped boxes and they had a big collection in their in their several houses apparently of yeah different types of heart-shaped boxes I'll admit I never actually uh, read a Nirvana biography well you can read one of mine I've got several and my late my, my most recent purchase actually um i bought it with you actually in um resident records oh, yeah, in brighton when we went to amita rockstar first yeah. and more <laughs> last year and uh, i will put this on insta because it's great and i said I'll, I'll put all my credits in um in the show notes but you can you can pretty much assume that anything that i tell you about any of the stories behind any of the songs comes from this book nirvana the stories behind every song by chuck christofuli uh, Christopher Lee. Um it's a great, it's a great um, book. So when I see you, I will pass that on to you. Is that the time we went to meet Thurston Moore? Um, we were wearing face masks, and so was he. And had massive stage, and we still did a photo thing, which is so completely pointless. I mean, honestly, it could be anyone. Hey, did we ever do? Yeah, we did. I'm sure we did. Uh, on Insta. Oh. I'm sure we did. Oh. But we can put it up again if we have. Well, I think we did. Well, Let's big up those because I, I have to admit that he was lovely. He was. He was very kind. He, he was. was really, really very giving to lots of people who were clearly massive fans and took and the his, time. And yeah. His new record, nice. By the Fire, is great. That's right. And we both have signed copies. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, where was I? Heart-shaped boxes. Uh, originally, it was called heart-shaped, heart-shaped coffin, um, not heart-shaped box. Um, Prophetic. Yeah, probably one of my favourite Nirvana, definitely one of my favourite Nirvana songs. Definitely, yeah. It's so good. It's kind of, yeah, like a gut punch. Yeah. Did you hear Lana Del Rey's performance of it? No. Uh, I don't know about Lana Del Rey. Oh, we've had this. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm not saying I don't like. I her. really I just, like her. You don't. Jury's kind of out for me. Mm. I'm not quite sure, but I need to look into her more. Maybe that's. I think she's great, think. but yeah, a little bit depressing sometimes. But yeah, she she performed it in uh, 2012, I think, and Courtney then tweeted, um, I think, to her or off the back of that anyway, um, that the song's about her vagina. Um. Oh, uh, fun fact. <laughs> no, that was the fun fact, Anna. Go on. <laughs> it's about all sorts of vaginas. Like, I mean, it's all like meat eating orchids. And... Isn't everything about Courtney's vagina? Do you know what? Speaking of which, she came up in conversation uh, this week with, um, well, my husband and I obviously were still uh, doing watch de- uh, lockdown watching Netflix. Still Nick Cage. In particular. Uh, who? Nicolas Cage. 
when no. you're going through his hole. No, <laughs> no, we had to take a break. It was getting a bit intense. You know what he's like. But um, who your Nick, husband or Nicholas Cage? No, Nick Cage. Um, we started watching uh, I'm Alan Partridge. Oh, again. oh, series one is so good. But we were like midway in between it. I think it was the the Irish episode. See, I was I really disliked Alan Partridge oh, a lot I'm in Alan the '90s. Now I'm coming around. So good. But anyway, the the episode with um, with uh, that guy who wrote I the IT Crowd. Oh, I, I really dislike IT oh, Crowd as well. Graham Linehan. Anyway, mm. he's so good in he's so good in the episode. Uh, and we were watching that, and then I was like, "Did you know?" To my husband, did you know that um, Courtney Love and Steve Coogan had a bit of a thing? And he was like, what? I thought, we, sorry, I thought you said, I thought you said Courtney Love. And I was like, yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah. But the funnier thing was that he thought that Steve Coogan, that's how he looks, like at that time. Oh, what, Alan you know, Partridge? With his, with his Alan Partridge <laughs> wig and his like latex to make him look older and stuff. So he was really spinning out like, oh my how, God. why, what? <laughs> I know she liked drugs, but seriously, what's going on? As if it's not bonkers enough as it is as to if, believe. Yeah. Like, no one. It's looking like that. I remember reading oh, it and amazing. thinking, oh my God, is it April Fool's Day? Because it must be. What? Yeah. Yeah. It is Random. really is a weird pairing, isn't it? But yeah. Yeah. Pun- talking about punching down. <laughs> Which one of them? say that because he lives in Brighton, or at least I saw him some years ago with his daughter in a cafe. Oh, he does say I didn't know that. Or maybe she lives here. That sounds more like Maybe he's mates with David Williams and he was meeting him. Or um, who's the other one? There's one that lived a couple of doors down from me. Um, Alistair McGowan. Oh, really? Yeah. He lives in Brighton. Or or did if, I don't know if he still does. I'll claim to fame as the guy from the bill who was the bad guy. Chris Allison used to. What, lives in Brighton? He used to live around the corner from me. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's quite excited. Near where I live anyway. (laughs) I, I, I always remember him. He was the bad dude from the bill. Anyway, my fun fact, which which isn't half as fun as that now, but it is about vaginas, is that, uh, okay. so Chris Novoselic, because remember there was all the stuff around like music censorship, but I'm sure we've discussed this at some point on the, you know, but all the parental advisory, all the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he said to some magazine at some point around that time, um, he used heart-shaped box as an example of how, you know, how ridiculous um it would be that broken hymen of your highness you know that part of the song would be would be banned because it's about you know talking about female body parts and stuff and under under the music censorship proposals even if it's that biological problem apparently or he cited it as an example of of it anyway so there you go um definitely not as fun as steve coogan um (laughs) in his in his plastic imagine (laughs) steve coogan in character (laughs) As Alan Partridge, do you think she? Do you think she asked him to dress up? Oh God! Do you think she asked him to put on the Black Beauty soundtrack? Too weird. And... Too weird. <laughs> what next, William Burroughs? <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, right. Scott Jeg from the Garage. <laughs> oh God! Call me Lynn. That's what she was saying. Call me um, Lynn. Right, I don't think we've had enough heart shape box, so I'm going to play you just a little bit of this version. So I can't remember if I finished telling you about the recording process, but this is Steve Albini's original mix of the song, which came out on the 20th anniversary release of In Utero, which I have because my husband bought me this as an anniversary present um, a little while ago. 
it's great. I'll lend that to you when I see you as well because it's got some uh, some really cool extra bonus stuff on it. Um, but yeah, so yeah, they recorded the album with Steve Albini, and they seem to everyone seemed to be happy with it when they were finished and everything. But then there were all these rumours that came out in the press about how the album might not be put out in its original form because the label were getting nervous that it was, you know, too raw or whatever. Anyway, I think there was like a lot of sort of toing and throwing between Albini, the band, and the record company. Um, uh, and stuff came out in Newsweek with, you know, accusations and denials and stuff. And I think the band like took out a. a, a couple of ads in the music press um, uh, saying that you know none of it was true that the band still had full artistic control and blah, blah, blah. anyway upshot was they got Scott Litz so here's the REM link for the episode they got Scott Litt who was REM's producer to come in and uh, fiddle around a little bit with the sound and remix three of the songs Ooh, uh, so one of them wasn't popular well um, did, uh, just call me Steve feel about that he was really pissed off, really pissed off. So apparently um, he initially refused to hand over the master tapes um, and relented finally when Chris um, phoned him up. Don't know what he said to him, but, you know, he, he threatened him. He threatened him. <laughs> no, <laughs> can you imagine? Have you seen me, fella? I'm massive. <laughs> He's a big guy. But no, Albini relented, but he had been saying that uh, apparently, the, you know, he'd come to some agreement with the band that nothing would be retouched without his involvement. And yeah, he was he was really cross about it until Chris said whatever he said and he handed him over. But yeah, so Scott Litt remixed this and Penny Royal Tea and All Apologies it was, I think. Oh, um, I do love All Apologies. Yeah, probably we'll come to that out. <laughs> Sorry, but, I'm not trying so, to jump the gun, I'm just saying. <laughs> anyway, that's this, this is the uh, the original Albini mix that didn't make it onto the original in utero. Um, right. Oh, this reminds me of being a teenager. Oh, so good. The best way. But I am going to move on. So, second single came out December 93, double A side with all apologies. The working title for Rape Me was I Hate Myself and I Want to Die. Um, Another prophetic. Mm, foreshadowing. But apparently it was intended as a joke. It was Kurt's response to people whenever they asked how he was doing. He said <laughs> he was tired of taking this band so seriously and everyone else taking it so seriously. Um, it's such uh, a shame yeah. he, never, he never sort of stuck around to see the legacy of it all and, you know, how God, yeah, imagine still what massively yeah. into it. It's a shame. Um, Chris convinced him to change the name, though, because he was worried that there'd be a lawsuit and stuff if you know kids took him literally or whatever so for a while um oh yeah because the, the album was going to be called that as well i think yeah that's it um so um yeah for a while it became verse chorus verse and we talked about sappy in the uh a is for no alternative and automatic for people because right. sappy was on that no alternative um red hot organization album um anyway i digress so yeah rate me written in la in may 91 at the time that nevermind was being mixed so quite early and it came about because kurt was playing around with the chords of teen spirit and the theme of polly so it's sort of like a response to um to like 
Polly kind of responding to her torturer right, in the right. apparently. Anti-rape song. Um, Kurt told Spin Magazine in 93 that it's like she's saying, rape me, go ahead, beat me. Um, and when a music journalist, Erica M., asked him about how he and the band were helping to raise awareness around sexism. He said that it was by writing songs as blunt as Rape Me. So he says that it was meant to be so blunt that no one could, you know, misunderstand or misinterpret what it was about. Right. But obviously it can also be seen as um, a comment on um, how he and Courtney were being treated by the media and stuff. Yeah, very, again, very similar sort of harking back to that Lady Better feel. Yeah around 93, 94 um, and just how they were like commodities and exactly yeah so I'm not the only one not could be talking people. about Eddie <laughs> could be talking about Courtney Courtney and Francis Bean as well you know that intense sort of you know and all the Vanity Fair stuff um, yeah Spotify gone. Right, so you can hear this baby crying. Yeah, could be. So that is Francis ba- Francis Bean. Because um, when he was doing the vocals for Rate Me, um, he had Francis Bean on his lap. So again, this demo can be found in that special edition in YouTube album. Just thought I'd include it there. Can you hear it still in the background? Oh, yeah. Um, what else can I tell you? Um, oh, they wanted to play this at the 1992 MTV Awards, um, but the network thought that it was a attack this. on them. Yeah, so they wanted them to play Team Spirit instead. Yeah. Uh, they refused to, so MTV were like, you know, they threatened to cut them from the show, to cut all of the bands from um, the uh, from their management label, Gold Mountain. Um, stop playing all their videos on MTV like they were chucking everything at them and so there was this you know ongoing argument over like three days between um, them and Kirk Bain and it wasn't until they threatened to fire the band's friend Amy Finity who was an MTV employee and really made to them that they they agreed to play lithium instead but can you remember like when when, yeah, when yeah, it yeah. starts they like play the first few chords of Rayman so it almost it went to the an ad break. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you would, though, wouldn't you? Yeah, no, that's genius, really. Um, so, yeah, obviously, it was a really controversial song. It was renamed uh, Waif Me on the censored version <laughs> that Walmart and Kmart. Oh, well, I mean, um, it doesn't leave much for Weird Al Yankovic to work with, does it? <laughs> anyway. In fact, um, doesn't Weird Al have a cover of this? Oh, I don't I know. Like does he? You'll look it up. Yeah, I do. Uh, oh, so another link with your last pod. Um, in 2015, Rolling Stone ranked it number 31 in the 102 best Nirvana songs or something like that. But their writer um, called it the closest to an actual bikini kill song that Kurt Cobain would ever write using the lyrics as a woman empowering taunt to show would-be rapists that their victim spirits would not be tamed. So there you Definitely go. Definitely yeah. Um. Right. Although I will say that uh, I'm pretty sure no, you know, rape murder victim 
ever screwing this. No, no. Rosie was going with it, but I mean, I could also see why some people would find it insensitive. I mean, I understand he's coming from a. I've always thought he was coming from a, a good place. Yeah, and, and I think you know, especially a feminist, now, I would call him a feminist. I think he always was a feminist, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, not being a woman, be very hard to kind of access how that might actually feel and. You know, it's all very well. <laughs> you can't really empower a rape victim. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Unless they're just getting their rapist sent down sort of thing. Yeah. There, there are some, I, I don't know where this has come from, but there are a few internet rumors, so like, you know, absolutely not corroborated at all. Mm-hmm. But that um, in, his, in his teens, there was this um, – young woman with learning difficulties that him and his friends would go around and like steal alcohol from her parents cupboards and stuff and he was he was planning to kill himself this is really really early on he was planning to kill himself but he didn't want to die a virgin so he went over this the story goes that he went over to her house and had consensual yeah well uh, but that it didn't happen because he was grossed out because she smelled or something and I don't know, but it's all, I don't know. I think it's that in some biography that was written by. the story about Kurt Cobain I think I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah, it's horrendous. I don't know if it's true. Um, God, well, let's hope it isn't. But let's hope it's not, but he's I'm just, I'm yeah. just going to go ahead and delete that from <laughs> my mind. Yeah, too disturbing. Uh, right, so Frances Farmer will have her revenge on Seattle. So... Kurt was fascinated with Frances Farmer uh, since he was in high school and he read her biography, which was written by William Arnold of the Seattle Post-Intelligencer. Yes, so do you know much about Frances Farmer? I think. Wasn't she an actress? And she uh, had some mental health issues? Uh, yeah, didn't she get institutions? She did, yeah, um, several times. Um, she was sectioned. Um, her mum got her sectioned. She um, she had very leftist and atheist views. And at college, apparently, she won a trip to Moscow for a college essay that she'd wrote on those subjects. Um, you know, it goes to show you the sort of you know the climate that she was living in. At so the what time. year was that? Um, she. I don't know when she was sectioned, but she was released in 1950, and uh, that by that point she'd been oh, yeah. sectioned several times. Head of McCarthyism. Yeah, so um, yeah, each time she was involuntarily committed and uh, got diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, and then she claimed systematic abuse uh, as a result of you know all of her stints there and uh, claims of rape as well while she was in there and all sorts of horrific stories. But yeah, once she was released, she um, got uh, she she fought to be released from her mum's um, oh, yeah. not custody, but yeah, emancipated. Yeah. So that happened, and then she tried to have a bit of an acting comeback, and she did. But then, really sadly, she got diagnosed with esophageal cancer um, owing to her heavy smoking, and she died at the age of fifty-six in nineteen seventy. So better innings than Kurt. Sorry, better innings than Kurt. Well, yeah, but Kurt and Courtney were really fascinated by her and I guess, you know, drew some parallels of how she was treated by the media and society, you know, with how they were being treated at the time as well. Um, And 
1993, Kurt apparently tried to contact Arnold, who wrote William Arnold, who wrote her biography, uh-huh. and he wanted to get in touch. And uh, later, Arnold never got to speak to him before he died. But he did say afterwards that Kurt had left this rambling message on his phone and uh, he was talking about having this theory that he was related to the doctor that did the initial section. Um, And apparently Arnold had written it on his to-do list for April the 8th. Oh, no. um, No. To contact KC, the Nirvana guy. Do you know what? How many people have put their hand up and said, you know, oh shit, I meant to call him back, or oh yeah, I heard the message, we didn't get back to him, or oh, I missed his message. And how many people yeah. like, talk about seriously unlucky? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, unless other people are kind of heavily fabricating just to be involved in his death in some way, but like it does seem a bit odd. Like there were, it sounds like poor old Kurt was like calling up every bloody person he's ever met yeah and no one called him back i think michael stipe really wanted to help him did mike answer his phone because <laughs> i don't know if he called you know, michael stipe i mean he was listening to his album I at the hear, time though, did michael stipe live next door to them at some point no i think it was peter buck i, I just remember a quote and i think it was from the 90s when i read it and it was it was actually it was called the love and she was like i did i just basically i ticked all the boxes i did everything i planned to do I, I wanted to marry Kurt Cobain, be a big rock star myself, have my own band, and be best friends with Michael Stipe. Yeah. And now I live next to him. Check, check, check. <laughs> I mean, she did them all. But yeah, Arnold didn't get to cross that thing off his to-do list. But later, That's I think just like that, uh, April yeah, I mean, the 14th. Not that he was going to, you know, like. No, he wasn't going to be the one to save, save his, life. his life or anything. But, you know, I mean, Lanigan's. Yeah. Lanigan's supposed yeah. to call him back. Yeah. Then again, would Lanigan have just given him some more drugs? I mean, well, who knows? Who knows? But yeah, instead, so the following week or like two weeks later, um, Arnold wrote an article saying Cobain found a kindred spirit in Francis Farmer's troubled life. And he said that Cobain's behavior might be interpreted as the actions of a man determined to embody the spirit of Francis Farmer. So there you go. Um, Oh, fun fact. Courtney Love got married in one of Frances Farmer's old dresses. Oh, really? So she says, yeah. Oh, satin, white Frances satin gown. Bean. No, 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 no. So Frances Bean, well, I mean, it might have been her as well, but uh, they say that Frances Bean was actually named after the lead singer of the Vaselines, Frances McKee, I think. But maybe there was some Francis Farmer in there. Maybe I don't know. it was a combo. I don't know. I don't know where the bean comes Smash from. Bean. Actually, I think the bean was yeah, like it's just one of those. the kidney bean. Do bean. you know how many people have given their child the middle name of what they thought their fetus looked like on the scan? Uh, no, I don't. How many? Bloody loads. <laughs> like, I don't know. So the what exact is it one. like? Cantaloupe. I know loads of people. <laughs> yeah, what, mango. Someone in, no, someone in our NCT group called their kid with the middle name B think for what not making that up well like bumblebee yeah he looked like a bee has anyone called it fetus <laughs> someone some actress called hers a corruption of avocado because their kid they thought it looked like an avocado on the skin how did they corrupt the avocado what avo i think it's av av or something but that's where it comes from oh that's hazelnut did your kids have any neutro names given the subject of our no, no, did you? <laughs> I 
Very good. Yeah. Oh, do tell. Mm. Oh, the husband <laughs> isn't going to thank me for this at all. <laughs> you can't stop now. So I'm definitely going to do it now. You cannot stop now. Sorry, love. I'll talk fast because uh, I know that when he listens to our podcast, he listens to them at um, one and a half times the speed <laughs> and get through it faster. Should we talk, start talking really fast? So can't I know, I really, really <laughs> think that we should. And it's really, really difficult to hear what we're saying. Um, we had a lot of car journeys because we lived in the countryside when I was pregnant. And um, I had like so many names. We knew we were having a girl, so I like had all these names and I was suggesting you know, five to 10 names a day. And he didn't like any of them. Uh, like immediately, like just like absolutely not. No, no way. Hate it. Hate it. Move on. No, never mention that name to me again. Like he, you know, there was no kind of pausing Picky. at all. And finally I was like, haven't you got any suggestions? And he, <laughs> he said, well, he said, uh, what about uh, Melanie? Like Melanie Griffiths. She's a good actress. <laughs> Sorry, what? I thought you were gonna say like melon because that's no, what it looks like it didn't in have, the womb. No, it didn't have anything to do with okay. our in utero pictures, but uh then it became a uh, little mel. Oh, that's brilliant. As a working title, there was no you know, no disrespect to anyone called Melanie, but I'm not naming my firstborn after Melanie Griffiths. <laughs> You know. <laughs> do you know what though you have reminded me of um smashing pumpkins instagram like this week um put something up about uh, do you have any pet names <laughs> inspired by smashing pumpkins songs and stuff and someone has a dog that is called melon <laughs> collie <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i thought that was that is. <laughs> i wonder if anyone's got uh yeah you know that dog is called mel like, for sure <laughs> <laughs> little Mel is little Mel. <laughs> Wonder if there are any uh, and any the story any pets continues. In, any pets n- named after Nirvana songs? Yeah, catch us on Instagram. Your kids called Mel <laughs> or your dog. I hope none of them are called dumb. Your like cat this, like this, song. or your rat in a cage. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Right, dumb. Ah, oh, so <laughs> done. <laughs> Feel like you're dusting your hands off at this moment. Like. Uh, I was like, no, 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 we haven't heard all apologies. What are you talking about? <laughs> we're not done. No, we're not done. This is dumb. <laughs> dumb ass. <laughs> well, if that doesn't, if that isn't too on the nose for you. <laughs> um, this is quite apt now. So Kurt said this. it's just about people who are easily amused. <laughs> <laughs> Oh people, my god, perfect. <laughs> people aren't capable of progressing their intelligence. Oh my god, Kurt is in the room. <laughs> He's in the room. This isn't a podcast, it's a fucking seance. <laughs> oh, so this it's is supposed to, be, for you, it's supposed to be a happy song. So this is his version of a happy song where he's just talking about being content, but then at the same time he's wondering whether he's whether he's just happy or he's just stupid. Is kind of the essence of it, I think. Yeah, um, I think we all have that. So I thought that maybe Worry. the cello on this might have been the same cellist that you were talking about. James Carpenter? It's not, unfortunately. Ah. So it's Kira Shaley uh, on this. On the on Run Unplugged, um, the MTV one, it's Laurie Goldstone. Oh, my God. Um, idea for a podcast. We tracked down all the cellists that have played in amazing, iconic 90s albums. Let's do it. 
and we yeah. hear their inside stories. Okay. Who is thinking about this? Why am I talking about this on the podcast? Shit. See for cello. Scuffed ourselves. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, so Frances Bean says that she cries every time that she hears this. It's a stripped down version of Kurt's perception of himself, himself on drugs, of drugs, feeling inadequate, feeling inadequate to be titled the voice of a generation. What must it be to be Francis Bean? I know, I was literally just thinking the exact same thing. Like, what a trippy thing to like have all these people be like, do you even know what your dad means to me? Yeah. Like, no, I don't, you know, like I don't even remember him. Yeah, yeah. But hey, what a legacy. Okay. <laughs> so you just sounded really smashy nicey then. Not <laughs> um, Alan Partridge. What a legacy. <laughs> Actually, it's a bit Alan. Radio, Radio Norfolk. <laughs> Norwich. And that was a total smasher. <laughs> this is very Connie, do you love it? <laughs> All right, can you say this in an Alan Partridge voice? <laughs> Let me try. Come on, you have to do so it. So the now. working title of this song, Mary Eight, was Perky New Wave Number. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, someone needs to pay Steve Coogan to say that. Right, for me, I don't know about you, this is a bit a mid-album filler. Like, it's not my fave. It's got MF written on it. So I'm going to forward it a little bit because all I'm really going to tell you about this. Do you recognise Yes, me? it's The Prodigy. It is The Prodigy. So the prodigy. Booty people. Exactly. Yeah. Ninety four. Do you know what? Sometimes, if I can't wake up in the morning and I really need something to get me going, I'll put my earphones on. I'll play this. It, right. is, it really works. Can I? That's just the top tip. Good. Another little link to your last one. There's a Dust Brothers remix of this. I know. I haven't I put this on because that the, the riff isn't so obvious in there. I'm desperate to do the prodigy. I just haven't. Yeah. I found the right place for it in well, the new it's time. Well, it's isn't it? Always. It, yeah, well, despite my <laughs> absolute lack of respect for the alphabet when it comes to odds that I do. Okay, for key. Yeah. Also, the problem with the prodigy is it sometimes takes a little minute to get in. Yeah, I do. Like, halfway through, you need to start, like, any prodigy playlist from the from the middle if you want to talk about it. The Prodigy is another band that, in the 90s, I did not like them at all. And I saw them at Reading 98, I think. When was it they headlined? Uh, they were playing with the Beastie Boys. It was when they had that public spat with the Beastie Boys because the Beastie Boys had asked them to not play Smile My Bitch Up and stuff. And even then, like, I appreciated them for what they were, but I still I was not a Prodigy fan. Uh, my husband loved them. It's probably good. I mean, I, I totally appreciate them now, but it just was not my thing. Anyway, sorry, this is no, not about... No, don't turn it off! <laughs> Come on, just this next one. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. All right, Harry you tell me when. You no, tell me when. No, no, I'll have a sip of my gin. What are you drinking this evening, Lily? Gin, gin, and more gin. Mm. Snap, snap, I've gone for the gin tonight, too. With, yeah, uh, when we're heading into spring, we can put away the red wine, right? Tanqueray with uh, a bit of orange and elderflower. It's very nice. Nice. I uh, I'm trying uh, Miss Miss Jennifer's biologist gin. Oh, made local hair. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I used to live opposite the uh, the folk behind Madame Jennifer's great gin. Really? Great gin. You've never given me any Madame Jennifer's gin. Oh, I, I've moved away by. But they <laughs> hadn't started up by. Yeah, moved away by then. You know the local celebs. 
Okay. <laughs> right. Sorry, Prodigy. Sorry, Lily. All right, Milk. Again, a bit more mid-album filler, I think, to me. But this, so Milk It was apparently hinting of things to come. Like you said that you were trying to get past that old formula of like verse, chorus, verse, that they'd kind of done it to death. Um, and he wanted to be a bit more avant-garde. He wanted to be the butthole surfers, he said. Um, yeah, so you can't, you can't walk back the success though. I mean, you know, it's not going anywhere. Uh, no, no, they kind of made their bed. It's like, I don't mean that in a, like a harsh way. It's just, you know, I think, yeah, a lot of them had to come to terms with the fact that like you either learn to enjoy it in some way or like, yeah, what else can not, you do? Yeah. Because you can't not, you can't undo the success of it. It's so sad. I hate it. I hate even, this, even when you listen to Nirvana, you can't help but think yeah. about, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda and all that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we, we just, we were just some bloody teenagers. Millions of miles away. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I thought well, I, I had feel like to know that person, you know, and you know, yeah. not having picked up their phone call. I know we just talked about it. But it's just so sad. Yeah. But what I find interesting about when I read that this was kind of the direction that at least Kurt wanted to go in and be more kind of um, sort of arty and avant-garde is that everything else that I'd read about, like where they were headed next, well, a either like breaking up, which I think probably where it was going to go otherwise but the other stuff where Kurt was going to go like you know again from what Michael Stipe was saying like the, off the back of um MTV Unplugged was that the next Kurt work whether that was going to be with Nirvana or Solo or whatever or collaborations he was talking about collaborations with Michael Stipe that it was going to be a lot slower a lot gentler more acoustic stuff mm. which to me is not milk it <laughs> so was it going to no. go in this direction or in the other We'll never know. Well, better slow down. Mm. So, yeah, I'm going to forward this because it's not my fave and I don't imagine it is yours. No, it's not. <laughs> I don't like to presume, but I imagine this is probably a fave for you. I don't know. Tell me. I think this is your fave, isn't it? It's definitely one. I don't know what my favourite one is. No, I mean, from the album, though. Um, I know you couldn't pos- possibly categorise. I think no, I'm a little bit hammered. <laughs> <laughs> Ignore everything I say. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying this with the with the gusto of a Dina monsoon. I'm pouring myself another one as I say this. <laughs> Good for you. Actually, you know what? It's all, right. Gonna, it's all right. It's half term. I'm going to forward this it's one. It's half term, sweetie. It's half term. <laughs> I'm going to forward this one and play you a different version. Tell me if you can recognise who this version is by. Like I do know. You do. Because you played her to me last week. I was going to say Kristen Hirsch. <laughs> it absolutely is. Yeah. And then I was like, then I freaked myself out and was like, oh my God, is it Courtney Love? And I'm totally missing it. Do you know what I mean? Like she's definitely channeling. Yeah. One of them is channeling the other one. Oh, actually, it's funny you say that. There was some song that I was listening to this week and it was Kurt and Courtney like duetting on, it might have even been Penny Royal Tea, but it's just like, a, it just turns into a massive Fight. scream fest <laughs> I know I'm just I'm joking but yeah I mean it wasn't great but yeah no anyway you're right this is the Kristen Hirsch version which I think is beautiful yes I love it 
So, yeah, Penny Royalty should have been the third single. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was re-released in 2014. It wasn't a single because Kurt died before it was supposed to be released. And also one of the B-sides of it was I Hate Myself and I Want to Die. Uh, so it wouldn't have, yeah. you know, been a good look. Uh, um, a on the nose. Yeah. Have you ever tried Penny Royalty? Do you know what it is? Uh, no. Apparently it's a flowering, flowering mint plant. Oh, well, I do like mint tea. Yes, but it's a herbal abortive. Well, apparently. Oh. But uh, Kurt wrote in his journals that it doesn't work, you hippie, apparently wrote. And um, it's supposedly a reference to Olympia's bohemian homeopathy enthusiasts that he was kind of a bit fed up of when he lived in when he lived in Olympia. But the oil of the plant is also a mosquito repellent. Good to know. Nice. Do you know what though? Speaking of, this is nothing to do. <laughs> Pouring yourself another ginger. <laughs> I was going to tell you that Sabres sell these amazing patches for mosquito bites. And oh, right. I'm so massively into it that every time I go to Sabres and buy and buy them out, I always buy everything on the little metal stick thing. Um, to the point where every time I buy them out, I say to the person behind the counter, do you know these are the most amazing things for mosquito bites? <laughs> <laughs> On the off chance that someone has the same problem with me, which is that I am absolutely food for mosquitoes. <laughs> and uh, and they always kind of go, oh, yeah, brilliant. They should be saying, <laughs> well, you they... need to buy penny royal tea instead, and, and then I'm you like, wouldn't get the bites in the first place, and you Nicole, wouldn't need to stock your... <laughs> that's true, apparently. It's the type of blood I have. But just, I'm not being in any way bankrolled by savers, but acti patches... <laughs> From they sell them in Sabres. I think they're uh, Italian, but anyway, they are amazing. <laughs> Good to know. Get them. <laughs> Yo, better stock up on our citronella candles. Oh, you didn't see that coming on your Nirvana pod, did you? <laughs> Good to know. I have my own agenda. <laughs> it's called to do know. mosquitoes. Oh. Anyway, um, I think lockdown needs to end. I might be fully losing it. <laughs> I've totally lost my thread now. <laughs> so I'm just imagining the woman who works in Savers because I think I know the one that you mean based on your impression. No, I've told all of them. I've told all of them. Oh, right. And they're all like, really? Really? Do you want to buy some of... Uh... Actually, they say really and then they look at it and go, what's it for? Okay, <laughs> do, you, do, you want, do you want Robbie Williams's I was a papa? <laughs> Or some yeah. Gillette razor refills. <laughs> They're still trying to offload fucking Spice World the perfume. <laughs> oh, God. Bless them. I have to say they're so nice as well, the ladies and favourites are, are always nice. so nice. <laughs> I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> I might turn off my microphone. Oh I think, I, I think I'm going to have to leave it here as well. I've got a couple <laughs> more songs to get through. But I don't oh, know where sorry. I am. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're fine. I'm banging on. Anyway, this is the MTV Unplugged version, I think. <laughs> yes, it is. Just bang on, Hannah. I want to hear. We haven't um, even had all the politics yet, so. Oh. Um, what can I tell you? Kurt and Dave wrote it in 1990 in their Olympia apartment that they shared apparently it was a proper like filthy hole and Kurt was breaking up with 
Ah, another link for you. Toby Vale of Bikini Kill at the time that he wrote it. Um, they debuted it in April 91 at the OK Hotel in Seattle, which is where they also debuted Teen Spirit. Um, uh, 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 yeah, also Scotland remixed it as well, and the remix was only put on the um, on the censored Walmart and Kmart uh, release. Have I talked about Walmart and Kmart? I don't know. Anyway, according to New York Times, they didn't carry it. Walmart said that they didn't carry it because there wasn't enough consumer demand. Live. Kmart said it didn't fit with our merchandise. Oh, really? But apparently it was, I mean, obviously. Did it was our decor? Well, so they were worried about weight rate me for a start. And they were also worried about the back cover artwork being, being offensive. So I don't know if you remember, I've got the artwork, the back cover artwork in front of me. And uh, it was a collage that Kurt did, and it's like full of fetuses and tortoiseshells and model tortoises and orchids. And as a father at this point, you really think, like, what are you trying to say? Well, like, what do you think he's babies at? and vaginas on his mind? Clearly, right? Well, I mean, <laughs> what man in his early twenties does? <laughs> well, it's one of the late, other. Late 20s it's not usually point. both, to be fair. <laughs> I wouldn't, I mean, I, I would hate to speak for men at this point. But. He was sleep deprived as well, presumably. Presumably. Um, yeah. Anyway. I'm sorry, I broke my rule of not speaking. <laughs> Have another drink. But yeah, he was like obsessed with it. So the, like, he was really, really involved in like all of the artwork. Shall I put something on whilst I'm... Um... Oh, here we go. Penny, have I played this already? <laughs> so, I was going to tell you that. You know when you're saying about how disgusting their bachelor pad was, the gross apartment in Olympia? Yeah. It reminded me of a gross flat of a guy who lived uh, in our town. I, I didn't see this for myself, I will say this, but um, apparently there was a piece of toast with baked beans on it, with a fork through it, stuck on the wall. <laughs> Someone had apparently stuck there late one night and uh, just stayed there. For literally months. Oh. Actually, I've got a bit just in this flat related to baked beans and disgusting machine flats. So my first sheet of flat. It's five girls and two and guys. And one of the guys, Aaron, bless him, didn't like doing his washing up very often. And uh, it just got to a point where like we just you know, refused to do his washing up. So it was all piled up on the surfaces. Oh god, the life of a student, yeah, that happened a lot, didn't it? And then we just ran out of crockery. So it was like, right, well, we're Student not going to wash your stuff yeah. up. But so you can't use the sink because all their shit's exactly, in Exactly, exactly. So we emptied all of his shit into, oh, so his, it was a massive, like, it was a massive three-story house in Liverpool, £33 a week we paid <gasps> in rent. Shut up. <laughs> I was thinking, what? Oh, yeah. I was in Manchester. Liverpool in the late 90s. Earlier than you, mm -hmm. just a little bit, but... And I, it, mine was never that cheap. 33 quid. It was Damn. great. But anyway, so his room was right up in the loft. And I think I think it was his room. But it had a bath in it. Or maybe it was just another bathroom up top. I can't remember. Anyway, maybe it was the bath. He really enjoyed having long baths anyway. And he was also the only one that oh. used the bath. We all, had, we all you know, had a shower instead. So we put all of his dirty stuff. And we also went to Netto. Did you have Netto in Manchester? Yeah. It was like an even cheaper, like, little Analdi. Yeah, yeah. And we bought, I remember there were 9p, there were 9p cans of baked beans and spaghetti oh. hoops and stuff and like, you know, own brand ketchup and we just chucked all of the shit 
in the bath. Oh, that's and um, so well. he's going to have to, yeah, exactly. He's going to have to do something about it now because otherwise he can't have a bath. Yeah, we didn't really think that he just wouldn't bother having a bath and he just got all the shit in there. <laughs> <laughs> he came so down in bean juice and was like, in your face, motherfucker. <laughs> I think it wasn't until his girlfriend came to visit that it oh. actually got removed. I can't oh, even remember oh, who by, no. but oh God, just revolting. Yeah, oh my God, yeah, I totally forgot about sink wars. <sighs> yeah. I once went round to my friend Simon's house and uh, they'd invested... Like, they didn't have any money, like normal students, but they'd invested in the biggest TV screen you've ever seen. <laughs> it was huge. It basically took up one entire wall of their living room. Oh, God. That they were hiring from Radio Rentals. Oh! Rumbelows. Oh, yes. my God, I think it was Rumbelows. <laughs> and anyway, it was massive. Grant, well spent. Yeah. Anytime, uh, you know, girls were around, sport was on. Any other time, I think it was just non-stop porn, from what I could gather. But um, you had to come through the kitchen to get through to the back room. Right. And first of all, was I'm walking through the kitchen and it was rank. As you can imagine, five boys living together and just basically slobbing out massively. But like the sink was totally full of water, but also stuff. Oh. Anyway, I proceeded to the living room, the which is the back. Over the top. Ugh. Yeah, total grease sort of slight remnants of tomato something anyway so I went round to got into the back room and uh one of, one of his flatmates is sitting there in the three-piece suite chair but with a hammer in his hand you know, but watching sport which was probably hastily switched over when I <laughs> rang the doorbell was he changing the channel with the hammer no, he had a motor, motor, and I was that? like uh yeah he was one of those guys who like you would talk to they wouldn't look at you they would just talk but without taking their eyes off the screen right and I was like oh uh you know uh, were you headed with that <laughs> and uh he just went Mickey and I was what? like okay I'm looking at Simon like what's going on He's like, yeah, we've uh, we've got a mouse. And oh. I was like, oh. Uh, anyway, long story short, the mouse was seen swimming in the filthy water. <laughs> and the next time I came around, there was a massive, well, there were several holes in the wall where this guy would just, he, did, he refused to get up off the chairs. He would just throw the hammer at the mouse when he saw it from the chair. And it just went into the wall. I've got mice quite quick. <laughs> He got it in the end, I heard. You but joking. You want to see the state of this place? It was a nightmare. <laughs> I was going to try and say, I think if you don't want mice swimming in your sink, maybe do the washing up, just the thought. Oh, maybe get a mousetrap, not a hammer. Anyway, okay, <laughs> moving on. Um, we just talked all over the uh, Scotlet remix, but you know. <laughs> Never mind. We're like one hour, 15 minutes. Come on. Oh, Jesus. Come right. On. Okay. Hey, I love it. Let's make this. The three hour. <laughs> well, I might run out of tonic water, do, but let's have a go. Uh, okay. Um, oh, right. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Well, this is Radio Friendly Unit Shifter, and the only note that I have in my notes is that it's a dig at Nevermind and the record companies. And it is what, you know, I mean, need I explain? <laughs> Maybe I will. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the record company wanted them to shift radio-friendly units, so this is their kind of fuck you to that, I suppose, because it's not really that radio-friendly, right? 
I mean, also, you hear stories about it, don't you, about, like, the record execs trying to break down the economics of the system, like, yeah, we're just here to make money, though. Yeah, can you get that? Yeah, can you understand? Can you just do what we want because we just want money? And artists like, no, 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 you pr but you promised, you know, you wouldn't make us do this. And da, 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 da. It's like, how do, how do any albums get made, is what I'm trying to say, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's so completely incompatible. It's a fucking miracle that this album ever got made or put out in the first place. Paid for the Anyway, um, yeah, that's really a friendly unit shift. I'll, I'll move on. Well, also like this, and you know, so th this is Tourette's. Uh, it's kind of in utero's answer to. I think I understand mind. this one. Well, <laughs> <laughs> not laughing at my dormers. No, she's uh, laughing at me. <laughs> Just laughing at me. Quite right. Quite right. I'm yeah, sure. It's quite. It's, yeah. It's it's it's. It's a new chose answer to never mind territorial pissings to, to the extent where we just missed it. But Chris, do you remember in the, in the beginning of territorial pissings, Chris is doing that like takeoff of um, I can't remember what song it was, but this opens with Chris talking about like, yeah, 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 yeah. like John Barleycorn nicotine. Exactly. Of, yeah. But I think this is one of the songs that they were kind of, you know, when, when Kurt said that he wanted to lose some of the like the jock fans and stuff and like just shed some fans. I think that's what these songs were about. This is like, you know, to this bitch. Yeah, if you like this, then you're a fan. Um, I mean, I like it, but not as much as the other stuff. <laughs> I mean, me at like 15. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can headbang to this. A couple of pints of Snake Bite and Black. Absolutely. <laughs> Just one pint for me. You're all right, stop yeah. boasting. His throat must have been absolutely <laughs> screwed after this. Can you imagine? Right. Okay, so a bit more radio friendly. Final song. <laughs> that was another oh. that was another Alan Parsh. Blimey. <laughs> Will you stop comparing <laughs> me to Alan Partridge for Make sure Christ you've got sake. your soothers on your tube. For Christ's sake. <laughs> oh, my God. oh my god. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't really know Alan Partridge. I don't really like it. And then pulls out the most amazing impression ever. Do you know what it is? It's because my friend Gary, like one of my husband's uh, old housemates, lovely. He's like the biggest Alan Partridge fan ever. And we'll just, he, he will quote Alan Partridge like my son quotes Star Wars. So I felt like I'd seen Alan Partridge like every day in that was, the late 90s. That was, nailed it. Can I just say that? But was he does perfect. some great Alan Partridge impressions. That was the best Alan Partridge impression I think I've ever heard. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> You've never even seen it. <laughs> no, I've seen a bit. Damn your eyes. Fact, so, so one of the guys, it, it also lives in Brighton. Do you know the guy that might, I mean, we, I'm sure we've talked about him before and I'd never remember his name. Like the young guy who like works in the hotel that he stays in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah, a, yeah. He, yeah, I've seen him in a bar in Brighton. I think, yeah, my husband and I were talking about it. We think he might have been in the green room as well. Did you ever watch that? No. He was a big fan of it. I'm not, me not. So oh sure. my God. In fact, there's an episode in the hotel lobby where that guy, whoever the actor is, yeah. talks about Nirvana. Really? There is. I'm absolutely sure. Yeah. Weird. Oh, that bit. Weird. Yeah. I hope I've not totally made that My husband was a big fan of Sally Phillips. Oh, she is you know, great. She yeah, is she's really great. Yeah, I love Drop the Dead. It's Drop the Dead. 
Pony. 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 Whatever. That reminds me of my uncle, how he mixes <laughs> up we, his things. Can we call this eyes for... <laughs> Mixed metaphors. No. <laughs> eyes for Alan Partridge. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm sure I tell you my uncle that he likes to say, you can take a donkey to the river, but you can't make it drink. <laughs> anyway, we really must, I really must wrap this no, up. No, no. This is our first three-hour <laughs> podcast. Fuck everyone. <laughs> no apologies. <laughs> no apologies here. <laughs> Going till dawn. Oh, God. Well, I mean, I could play you another two versions of the same song. Yeah. That's do. Weird. Go on. All right. Well, let's have it. Let's fucking have it. Because you know what? It's locked down. What are we going to pretend we've got better things to do anyway? We don't. This song deserves some chat. It was included on rock and roll, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's The Songs That Shape Rock and Roll. And by God, it shapes my 100%. life. Yes. <laughs> my God! <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Get my fist and just bang it on the table. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, the working time drugs. Fuck it. Even the album. Some gin. You're done. Oh my god, my chest actually hurts from laughing too hard. Oh my god, COVID. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, right, you just can't to lubricate a bit. Mm-hmm. Ah. Okay. So the working <laughs> time. You don't want to know anything about this now. <laughs> Do you need a Scotch egg? <laughs> now I've got bacon fry. I've got oh, some bacon no. fries too. I'm gonna okay. crunch up bacon fry. <sighs> breath. I was gonna tell you that the working title really. for this was La La La. Finally, got it out now. We're just in time for the end of the track. <laughs> Do you know what? I think I'm done. I have got two <laughs> other versions of this. I've got the Steve Albini version, which is about to start. So if you've got anything else to say, you can say over this. I love it. So. Kurt dedicated this to Courtney and Francis at Reading Festival 1992. God, oh. I remember. So that, that reminds I've got this really vivid memory of being in. That might have been the one my brother went to. He, what? No, 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 no. This was there. Oh, yeah, yeah, Reading Festival. No. No, your brother would have been 12. Because your brother's you the same age as me. Yeah, sorry. What are you doing? So, 92. So, 92. No, yeah, what am I thinking? So, so I'm drunk my best friend Anna, her brother, her older brother, two years older, um, him and his friends. Um, well, you know, really into Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins and stuff. Yeah, I remember being insanely they? jealous because they had tickets. But oh no, hang on, this would have been. I should know. It would have been. It would have been '94 that they had tickets. What is wrong with us? Yeah, I'm Why getting my knowledge yeah, yeah, they would have had tickets for '94. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I remember like either. being in our. There was a part of our like a corridor in our school that had like a sort of glass. It had just been you know covered over so we didn't get wet in the rain. So it was called the greenhouse, I think. And I remember being in there and like they were talking about how they just got the tickets. And it's just like, oh my God, you know, I wish I wasn't 14 and was be allowed to go. But obviously they never went because it never happened. <laughs> okay, Alan. <laughs> that did not sound like Alan saying that. Like, oh God. That was actually the one time I've <laughs> Apart from when you did that amazing impression, which you absolutely did. <laughs> Bloody hell. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, it's nearly 
hour and 25 minutes. Right, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. No, no, keep going, keep going. Surely no, there's, uh, there's nothing else. Then we're going to play it at Top of the Pops. Weird Al version, come on. No, I don't have Bring that. it, no. bring it. There's a Sinead O'Connor version that I deleted oh, off the playlist. No, I was going to play Gallons of Rubbing Alcohol Flow Through the Strip as the last song. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. So that's like the, 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 the what do you call it, Easter egg? I don't ever want this podcast to end. So this is like the hidden track on the end of it. And again, this this was credited to all three of them. Um, and the original title, so here's a link. The original title was I'll Take You Down to the Pavement, which was a reference to the ruck that the band had with Axl Rose at the MTV. Oh, yeah. Oh, was in 92. Oh, I love that story. Yeah. I don't think it's a great song, but, you know, it's there's 20 minutes. It's, 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 that, it's like, um, you know, what you call it, after something in the way or never mind, there's, you know, like a 20 minute gap or whatever, and this is the same. Eh, interesting. <laughs> Rocking. <laughs> I don't feel like I we can leave it on this. And I will never mention Steve Coogan again oh after this podcast. I swear. But who knew you did such a mean impression of him? Bravo. Still don't even know what you're talking about. Bravo, high five. Right. Anyway, high five. <laughs> right. You can tell people how they can write in to tell us how we should not get hammered That's right. on a podcast. Kiss Hannah's face. Whilst I play the home demo version of All Apologies, okay, which I think is rather beautiful. Go on then, it's over to you. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Tell people where they can find us. Oh. Uh, that's right. You can. I visited Twitter this week, but then I didn't know what to say, and it frightened me, and I didn't understand. It was the land of Twitter a bit like Fantasia? It was just a bit dark. It was. I didn't know. Pulsating. What... Yeah, it's like I didn't understand the ads and the hashtags and stuff. So I backed slowly away, <laughs> but I visited. I think that's the first step. Um. But you can absolutely email us. Please do. It's Society Owes Meogenics Podcast at gmail.com. Um, we are on Twitter. If you wanted to at us or hashtag us, I guess we'd see it. Tweet at us. You could tweet. That's right. And also uh, our beloved Instagram account, which we love very much, which is also Society Owes Meogenics Podcast. Yep. I think. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> I've already had it. Memory loss. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you can leave us a voicemail on Anchor. Anchor, Right? Anchor FM, yeah. You can find us. I think that's our RSS feed thing. But anyway, (laughs) we make our podcast there. And you can definitely do that. No one has. But we welcome it. Please. (laughs) Do that. Wouldn't it be fun, Hannah? Can you imagine? That'd be delightful. Although, to be fair, if there's a pickup point for these messages, I mean, I don't know where it is, do you? Can you send you a message about that or what? <laughs> oh, damn it. It's entirely possible. But we've got a full virtual mailbag. We don't exactly. even know. People are messaging, messaging, messaging. Message Nothing. us and we will promptly ignore you forever. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, if you have, we don't know about it. I'm going to find that out. That's going to be my task for this week. I checked out Twitter last week. This week, I'm going to make sure we don't have any messages. Right. Okay, before we get to yeah, three send hours. us a message or you'll disappoint me. <laughs> I'm not aware of that. And uh, Hannah, thank you for a wonderful podcast. I have really enjoyed it. 
Bravo. Thank you. We only bark we've, at you. We've uncovered hidden three hours. talents, which I had no idea about. Love it. And uh, yeah, lockdown rolls on. Hopefully, not too much longer. In the meantime, there's Nirvana, gin, and podcasts. Thank you and goodbye. Bye bye. Yeah.